My guest today is Natalie Vanderpump. Towards the end of our podcast, she shares a tear-worthy story about letters that she found from a 15-year-old love interest. And rather than putting them aside or in storage or throwing them away, she went there. She asked the hard questions. She looked at the patterns that got in the way of her receiving love. And she closed the loop 45 years later. Her story is a beautiful example of the cost of patterns, but that we can transform them and ultimately find ourselves living open-hearted, authentic, and spirit-led lives. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Sharon Moore, and I'm one of your hosts. And on this podcast, we talk to Hoffman graduates about how their courageous journey inward impacted their personal lives, but also how it impacted their community and the world at large. So tune in and listen in and hear how our graduates' authentic selves, how their love, how their spirits are making a positive impact on our world today. In other words, get to know their love's everyday radius. Natalie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. (laughs) You know, I think it's interesting how many obstacles you had to go through just even to get to the process itself. So let's start with that. What was your experience of even just getting to the process? Oh my goodness. Um, I signed up for my process in February before COVID and um, then COVID happened and I was registered for May, um, which was canceled. And so I ended up doing the first Hoffman Essentials, which was online for a weekend, which is amazing. And then they opened up for September to do the process in live. And so I went to that, it was the first one, and then we had the fire. So then I had to go back home. And then a month later, um, it was moved to Petaluma, where you, where everything is now in California. And um, that's when I had my process. So it started in February and it ended up, I had it in October. So yeah, it was a bit of a journey, but it was, yeah. I thought about that. Talk about going through all the all the hiccups, signing up, and then COVID happens. Okay, postponing, which was a long. There was a long moment between COVID and when we went back in person. And then there was the fire. So for those who don't know, our home for many years in St. Helena, California, did burn down, and our friend Natalie, who's the guest today, was in that process um, when they had to evacuate, and then you came back and you were the first group in our new site in Petaluma, right? You were the first in the first group. Yeah. And all through that, there was a conviction in you that this is still the right thing to do. Can you tell me about what was guiding you to stay the path? When you, when I registered for Hoffman, they sent me this questionnaire it was like 60 pages. I don't know if it was really 60 pages, but it was 60 questions. I can't quite remember. And I remember right before COVID, I happened to have been in Hawaii and I decided to start, you know, I printed it out because I wanted to write out my thoughts. And it was a jolt to my being because these questions I was asked was taking me back, sort of walking me through my childhood and who raised me and all these different things. So 
even in doing that, I was more inspired to get there. And from the time that I submitted my questionnaires or even going through the process of doing the questions and the time I got to Hoffman, I was seeing a lot of my life. I had a heightened awareness of my life just by completing the questionnaire. So I was really looking forward to having the actual experience, not really knowing what that was going to be like, but I felt confident that somebody was going to help me make sense of all the stuff that I had been through as a child. So I was like, when's the next one? <laughs> I want to be in that first class, you know, and I was just like ready to go. And when they had Hoffman Essentials, I'm like, sign me up because I'm going to do something until I could actually have a live experience. So I was pretty focused. And what was happening in your life that uh, made you ready to go back to the core, to go back to one of the, some of these foundational patterns and resolve them? What was the, what was the catalyst? So I, when I was 25, I went to my first counselor ever when, you know, I went to a psychologist and I said, you know, I'm, I've done everything I was supposed to do that was supposed to make me happy. You know, I'm married, I have a house, two car garage, a husband, a kid, I'm educated. I have this great engineering role in a company and like life is supposed to be good and I'm unhappy. And so I've been on this journey since 25 for that place of peace within myself. And I've done, I've done like a gazillion things, right? Before Hoffman, I felt good, but there was a different kind of good or peace that I knew was missing. And I don't know that I could have articulated that before Hoffman, but I just felt like there was this bigger sense of wholeness that was available to me and I hadn't quite gotten there yet. So I, that's sort of where I was when I registered, not knowing where I would be today, but I knew there was something else. And I thought, well, maybe this would give me it. And I found Hoffman through a friend whose name is also Natalie. And she had gone in November, the year before COVID and came back and she was just bursting with this lightness and clarity. And I thought, yeah, that's that thing that I'm looking for. And so it was those things that said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and register. And so, you know, I know that when we're in the process, even though you know you want to find that light, you know you want to find that wholeness and that peace, in the process, there are some tough moments where we go into some of the wounds from our past. Were you able to, to go there? What was it like for you to be at the process? You know, as you ask me that question, I think about the deep sense of unworthiness that I have or had rather. It's kind of interesting answering that question because some of the patterns I experienced with people around me who I didn't even know, you know, so someone may not have looked at me a certain way or engaged with me and I would feel unworthy of them even acknowledging my presence kind of thing. So it was really interesting as you're learning about these patterns to be experiencing in them at the same way. And then you're learning like, Hey, it's not about that person. It's you. You learned that in childhood you develop those patterns as a child to cope with what was going on around you. That was the biggest, one of the biggest ahas for me is those are my coping mechanisms that I needed to have in order to survive as a child and to know that I was still carrying those and those are still running my life. That was just huge. Just, just 
And there were so many ways and the exercises and experiences that we had that brought that out. That's even making me emotional <laughs> talking about it right now. Cause it's just so sad to think like at five years old, I had to figure out how to survive and no child should ever have to do that. And so in the process, you were able to realize, wow, that was just a coping mechanism. It's not who I am today. Was it easy to separate yourself from the coping mechanism and your identity? How did you do that? It was the whole concept of my true spiritual self. Like that is the true essence of who I am. So I think that's where I made the separation in that having a heightened awareness of my spiritual self is my whole self. And then there are these patterns. And so it was like closing that gap. Like what I loved about Hoffman was it gave me the tools, like when these patterns, they're never going to go away, but they get quieter as you get more whole or stronger, whatever the right language may be. My language is the more whole I become, the more I'm in my wholeness those patterns get quieter, but if they pop up, which they will, I now have the tools to deal with it and I'm not that triggered. So that was my, that's kind of how I process, I began to process it during the process. Cause in the process, they tell you a lot of the work happens after you leave. And so, you know, it's like, this is kind of a cool skill, a tool, bunch of tools I can use when I go back out in life because at the end of the day, our true self is within us and it's tapping into that and removing the barriers that prevent us from being and seeing our true self. So I'm really grateful for having had that awareness and, and the tools and the experience to carry me through after I left. What are some of the tools that you tend to use in your day-to-day -day life? Quad checks, <laughs> um, just checking in with my body, my intellect, which is really on, you know, hyper going a lot of the time, <laughs> my emotional self. I had this concept in my mind that all the ages of me exist in me at the same time. But in Hoffman, what I learned was, yes, that's true. But the emotions of all those ages are within me, right? So when, they, when, we were, when I did my first quad check, I was learning about it. It was like, okay, so how old are you? And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like, how old is your emotional self today? And what does she want? And so to do that, I, I can't say I do it every day, but most days, that's pretty powerful, you know, because I may be five years old or 15 or 25 or 50, you know, whatever, right? And it's like, you know, and checking in with that. And then my spiritual self, which is my pure self. So to check in with those four aspects of myself every day is one of the things that I'll do. I do an appreciation and gratitude. Hardest thing in Hoffman for me, one of, was what do you appreciate about yourself today? I'm like, why am I appreciating myself? <laughs> we need to do more of that, you know? So those are two things um, that, you know, I try to keep in my daily and also recycling. Recycling is really powerful. Just flipping the pattern, you know, and now I kind of do it a little more automatically, but yeah, those are my top three. That's awesome. So before we move away from the process, I want to know, I know, I know it's seven days packed, packed with, with things that are happening, unfolding insights, revelations. Are you able to pinpoint a, a, a moment, a pivotal moment for you personally in the process? The one that comes to mind is in filling out the questionnaire, I had to write out well, who were all the people that raised me. 
So my mom and my dad were in my life on some level, but I had nine surrogates. And so when I got my name tag, it had my mom and my dad, and then it had the names of the nine surrogates that raised me. And I thought it was overwhelming when I saw it. I was like, well, that's a lot of people, you know? Even as I'm seeing it right now, my entire body was filled, like tingly. I could feel my body in a place of true gratitude for these people who took me into their home. And they were friends and family of my parents. You know, before I went, I went to live with my dad when I was 13 years old. And prior to that, I had been moved 16 times to different homes, I in different countries, I went to different schools. But what happened because as a little girl, I always felt like I was a mistake, like I didn't belong anywhere. That when I went to these different people's homes, I minimized me. I never allowed myself to speak up. I just wanted to disappear because I never felt like I belonged anywhere. They've all transitioned. Only one person, one of those nine is alive right now. But I felt like, oh my God, you know, they opened their home to me and their heart and they took care of me. But as a little girl, I didn't even know how to receive that because I never felt that, you know? So that was, um, I was literally, I'm shaking right now. I was literally standing there shaking. Like, it's like I could feel all their energy and love just run through me in that moment. And so that, I mean, I know we had a lot of experiences, but that one really stayed with me when I left. It was really powerful. Yeah, I got, I'm getting goosebumps just, just hearing about it. When you say, I, I actually felt true gratitude for each one of these nine people, was that the first time you were able to feel gratitude for them? Yes, in that way, right? Because I've always said, oh my God, you know, these people were great, you know, sort of intellectually. There's a lot of things I've done intellectually that when I went to Hoffman became emotionally deepened. So I've always been grateful. I kept those people near and dear to me my entire life, you know, on some level from a place of, I don't want to say intellectual gratitude, but it feels more like that. But what I did at Hoffman, that felt like emotional connection deep gratitude. And it also made me ask the question when I left or like, how many people in my life are showing me love that I don't even see that I'm not even aware of, you know, cause I'm so in this place of unworthiness and I don't matter and I don't have any value, you know, that, that, that pattern or that, that list, that vicious cycle of patterns, you know? And so sometimes I stop and you have to pay attention because people are around me giving me what I want and need, but it's going back to feeling like I deserve that, you know? But to answer your question, yeah, I always gratitude for all the women that were there because that was a really big need I had. I would send them Mother's Day cards, you know, and different things like that. So just kind of keeping them close in that level of gratitude. But in that moment, that was a physical experience of gratitude. I so relate this you know, concept of I, I did the work, I felt compassion, I felt gratitude. But then when we go through the process at Hoffman, it is a process, it's a journey. And, and through that journey, we get out of the words and only the words and into this place where, like you said, suddenly it's an emotional, spiritual, somatic sense of gratitude and compassion. And 
that's different than all the work we do all leading us to getting to the process. So that's beautifully said. And I have to say, I love that not only did you feel it in that moment, but it led you to start to reflect, huh, how many times am I receiving love on my day-to-day life that my patterns are getting in the way and blocking my own receiving of the love that is right in front of me? That's a huge connection to make right there. And and is that not the key? I mean, once you identify that pattern and recycle it, suddenly you go back into your world and you get to receive all the love that's right in front of you. I love that. I love that connection you made. You also, you said you had the the garage and the job and the engineer, and but today you are an engineer, but you also work with people. Tell me what you do in, in the area of helping others. I became a Kamari consultant just for fun. I love organizing people's homes and stuff like that, but I was really drawn to that method because there was a spiritual component to it. And I did this in 20... 19, where there was an element of mindfulness in her process of decluttering your home, right? There was a space of how do you connect with things emotionally and what is your present and what is your future, which I had never really read before. So I was curious about it and went and got trained by Marie Kondo. And I really gravitated towards that and went through my entire home myself, right? And so then I started having clients and then I would go in their homes and help them and so forth. And then when COVID happened, I kind of switched to doing that online. And what I find is I've done, I did online classes at first, but I really love working with people one-on-one and getting to know them. I have a client right now in Vegas and uh, he's married, has three children, busy life. And we meet every Friday morning at five o'clock. Uh, my time. And I'm a morning person, so it's all good. (laughs) I love the mornings. Yeah. But, and it's just getting to know him over time and seeing the transformation and getting these little text messages from him of gratitude of just how easily his life works now that things are in order and how lighter he feels for having dealt with things emotionally. And Um, I also got an additional certification in wellness coaching, in coaching, in life coaching, but it was a focus on wellness because I myself had been pre-diabetic 10 years ago, which was a shock for me. And so, because I eat healthy, so what do you mean? And so I went through a learning process myself. And then with COVID and so many people having comorbidities and things like that, I decided I'm going to learn more about this. So oftentimes my KonMari decluttering clients will transition into a wellness coaching because they're now dealing with how they eat and how they feel and that kind of thing. So I've been doing that and it's very rewarding because as you get to know people and they get to know you, there's a sense of trust and I can share and we learn from each other. And um, yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing with that. So I absolutely enjoy it though. I love getting to know people one-on-one. I feel I'm an introvert by nature. And so it's a good way for me to work in that space. Just for terminology, what is a Kamari consultant? So a Kamari consultant is a way, a process for decluttering your home. So oftentimes people will go and say, I'm going to tidy up my room, or I'm going to clean up my room, or I'm going to clean out the basement, or I'm going to clean out the pantry or whatever. Well, Marie Kondo, who created the Kamari method, 
said, mm, we need to do it by category, right? So instead of doing a room, let's start with all your clothes. So then you get every item of clothing from the sock, the shirt, the scarf, the shoe, everything. And you deal with all of that at one time, right? So for example, when I went through it in my house, I have a bed, a second bedroom that has a closet that had all my dresses in it because I love dresses. I have dresses for being in the sun all the way to black tie, right? And then in my regular closet that's in my bedroom, I have like everyday things, work things, workout things, you know, whatever. So I pulled all of that together into my room on a bed and piled it high. And then I had to find an item that sparked joy for me. That's her thing. Does it spark joy? And then so I found this one thing, which was this particular orange dress, which is my favorite color. And I, you hold it on your heart and you're like, okay, this sparks joy. And then that was going to be my barometer for every single item on that bed about how it feels inside. And that's what drew me to her method. And so you do that for all your clothes and essentially you'll end up with, these are the things that spark joy. And the idea is to only keep yourself surrounded with things that spark joy. So then you do that for all your books and then all your papers and then all your everything else and then your sentimental items. So that's kind of in a nutshell what that's about. But then when I got, when I did my home, I had this freedom, <laughs> you know, and I'm very organized. We're like, what are you organizing? And if you walk into my house, it doesn't look, it looks the same as before because I'm pretty organized myself, but it felt lighter because I had touched every single thing in my life and made a decision as to what sparked joy, what was I keeping, why was I keeping it, what's the value in my life today or tomorrow. And when I got done, it's amazing. And anyone who goes through the process and does their, their entire home will tell you that it's just this freeing feeling, not just physically, but emotionally. So that's why I'm, that's a long answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's beautiful. And, and, and do you find that too many things spark joy? Like, is there ever, ever a, you're, why are you keeping that? Well, because in eighth grade, I, ha you know, is it, is it, do we end up sometimes assigning joy to things that we shouldn't? So I'll answer that two ways. One is I have a lot of cutting boards right? I have six. Who needs six cutting boards? But they're different sizes. And I did a raw food chef certification at one point. And so my cutting boards bring me joy and I have six and that's okay. And if you have 50 pairs of shoes and shoes is what brings you joy, that's okay because it's about you and what brings you joy. I'll tell you a quick story. I think it just happened this week. So I'm a little kind of nervous about it, but when you go through your sentimental items, that's a really big thing, right? Like you said, like this is from eighth grade or whatever, but it's asking those questions, right? And I had a lot of pictures and a lot of letters from the 70s and 80s when I moved to the United States and people didn't call international. I'm from Jamaica originally. So you wrote letters, you didn't make phone calls because that would have been really expensive in the 70s. So I have lots of letters and they were all organized by people. And these letters are not one pages. There were like two to 10 pages of letter. I had a whole box of letters and pictures and things like that. And when I went through my KonMari process, my own process in 2018, 2019, I either returned the letters to the sender because there were like diaries of their lives in the 70s and 80s. Or if I couldn't find them, I just recycled. But there was one set of letters that was from a boy. <laughs> 
that I liked at 15. And I told myself, well, I'm not sure this is sparking me joy. I don't know what this has to do with my present or future, but I'm going to keep it. Maybe I'll share it with my granddaughter and show her pictures and letters from a boy, (laughs) you know, from us 15. Just kind of silly at the time. So I go through Hoffman and fast forward literally two months ago. Well, sorry. So back then, um, you know, I got the letters and I found a lot of pictures of that time in my life and I loaded them up on Facebook and people started connecting with each other from that time. And he then connected with me, but it was very sort of, hi, how are you? You know, that kind of thing. Just very generic, right? Because in my mind, he never really saw me and, you know, all my patterns, right? So that was in 2019. So two months ago, I went back and I I was drawn to pick up those letters. Because one of the things in going through Hoffman is like you walk out with a sense of wow and a sense of wholeness on some level. But when you as life goes on, you things pop up and you are inspired. I was inspired to dig a little deeper, you know? And then when I went to Q2, which is like Hoffman on steroids weekend after Hoffman, that kind of got a little deeper for me. And I started going into things like looking at my five-year-old self and how do I love her and grow her up and kind of getting through that. And then a couple of months ago, I was drawn to go back to those letters and I picked them up and I read them as me today, Natalie today, Natalie, who received those letters at 15 and 16, I didn't see what was in them. And so when I read those letters two months ago, literally, I started crying because he did like me (laughs) and it was on the page, but I had so many patterns that I couldn't see it. And I started crying. I'm like, this again is another story of someone showing up to love me that I couldn't see. And I just like started crying. So I shout to him. I sent him a note. It's like, hey, how are you doing? Da, da, whatever. And I don't want anything from him. It was just, I'm not quite sure what I wanted more than closure for myself. So I just started with a very sort of generic email. How are you? How are the kids, the family, you know, that kind of thing and share about my family and all that. But at the end of his note, he said, when I came back from college in 1980, you were just not there and I never knew what happened. And so that was my opening to then share my story with him. And so I, it took me like all of last weekend to write this literally this past weekend. And on Sunday night, I mailed it, I emailed it off. But I said, you know, you never, you never knew that when I met you, that I had just come to live with my father for the first time, that I had been moved around 17 times before, and, you know, had all this trauma and sexual abuse and just any and everything you just kind of wrap it into there you know so I just wrote that and I said I never shared any of that because I didn't know how to and it was just my life it was just my ordinary life and I never thought that I saw you you represented strength and kindness and something safe and I saw you and your family as having everything I wanted you know, the mom, the dad, the brother, the sister, you sit at the table every day and you have a meal and there's connection. 
and he has a brother and the brother's girlfriend, I even referenced it, you know, she was beautiful and she fit into that picture. And I never saw any way that I could fit into that picture. Now, I didn't use language in my email to him to say I didn't feel any sense of worthiness or whatever because he might have thought I was crazy. But that's what I was thinking because at 15, I just didn't feel worthy to be, much less to be in what looked like what I really wanted and that I deserved you know, to have that. And so towards the end of the letter, I said, you know, I, I really struggled in writing this because I didn't because it's closure for me and I wanted to share, but I didn't want it to be selfish and I don't want, I didn't want to be disrespectful of your family. So, so I sent that off Sunday night. So Monday morning I had an email from him and I just started bawling. Cause he was like, Oh my God, I had no idea. You never shared. You were always happy, you know, and all of this. And he said, you know, no, I really did like you. And he kind of talked about a few things and he had these specific memories and so it was just closure for me 45 years later for both of us, because his first paragraph said, I had, I've had this question for 45 years and now I am at peace. And so I was just, I like cried like all day I'm working, you know, and I'm crying. And then that night I was just journaling in such a place of gratitude because had I not gone through Hoffman, I don't know that I would have had. I know I would not have had the guts or the tools to be in the place I am today to write that note with my full authentic self to just have the universe line it all up, you know? Yeah. I'm so grateful. That's just been on my heart all week. And I'm, I'm, I can't tell you how grateful I am for that. And so in my letter, I also said to him, now I'm going to keep your letters and your picture to share with my girlfriend, from, from, not my girlfriend, my granddaughter, about a boy who was in my life that impacted my life all the way through adulthood, right? Unknowingly. And so now I have a reason for keeping it that is about joy, which circles back to Marie Kondo, right? It's like things you have should spark joy for you. There's a lot I hear in that story. I mean, first of all, I'm, I have tears. That's, that's so, there's, there's something about time that is also just so beautiful that, you, you know, those 45 years were long, but also a blink of an eye. But, you know, A, you trusted something beyond your mind that said, keep these letters. You don't know why, keep them. To me, I hear spiritual self, but something happened where you kept those letters. And because you kept those letters and because you had the courage to really go to deep places and continue to listen to your spiritual self, this unraveled. And and you named it too. It's this embodiment of, okay, I'm going to now live with this question of how are my patterns getting in the way of me receiving love? And I'm going to hold myself accountable to working on those patterns. And boom, this happens. This is a beautiful expression of that. It's such a full circle. It's such a you showing that little girl that you talked about who was you that you are ready now, that you're not going to let the patterns do that anymore. What a beautiful story. Yeah. Wow. You summarize that so well. I just want to cry. I might hang up and do my own cry. It's just such a beautiful story of surrender, of spirit, of uh, the cost of patterns, but the beauty of doing the work. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, as we're having this conversation, you know, and I was telling you about my surrogates and that whole experience, I just, 
never felt like I belonged. I told myself a story and I even wrote this in the email to him last weekend that I used to literally say out loud, I wasn't meant to be born. I am a mistake. You know, my parents were both married to their own spouses. So I disrupted two families. I was not supposed to be, and no one ever corrected me. Nobody ever said, oh, Nally, that's not true or, you know, whatever. So that was literally my core belief. So if you feel like you don't belong, there is nothing anyone can do or say that you're going to hear or receive until you either go through a process like Hoffman or somebody in your life says, hey, no, you do matter, but can you even hear it, you know? And so I love that little girl and I'm very grateful for where I am today because I'm truly authentically genuinely feel like I am deserving. And as I grow into a deeper me and I have boundaries and I'm clear on what I want, which has been like another amazing, we could talk about that for another hour, you know, just like how I show up and I don't put pressure on myself and expectations and obligations. It's about who am I and how do I serve and show up for my true authentic self, you know, going forward. It's a full circle. It's taken me a really long time, but I'm really grateful. Yeah, gratitude <laughs> for everything. And this past week has just been phenomenal. And it's amazing that we're, I just, that it just happened, you know, <laughs> it literally just happened. Yeah. I want to pause and maybe even close on this because I think it's a really powerful and important point that you lived with, with, I don't belong. You, you lived with that. And some people never undo that belief and live with it their whole lives. It's a big one. It's a hard one to undo, as you know, and you, and you did it. And, and no matter how long it took, you have arrived in a place where you have the tools to answer the question, what is getting in the way of me receiving love? And then not only that, you now do that for others. Beautiful. What, what an inspiration. Thank you. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yes. Thank you. Natalie, thank you so much for sharing your story. I, I can't wait to hang up and cry a little bit because it was so moving, but what a beautiful reminder of the power we ourselves have to get those patterns so that we can receive love and then be able to even go back 45 years and speak to somebody who was wanting to give us love, but our patterns got in the way, but oh, we're able to close it now. Beautiful. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Oh, now you're making me cry. <laughs> I can't wait to do the cry. I can't wait to do the cry. But thank you, Natalie. I'm, I'm sure many will appreciate hearing such a beautiful story and such inspiration. And We'll include your website. So um, I don't know if you're taking new clients, but I know I'm interested in this Kamari consulting. That's for sure. So um, we'll include your website as well. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi. Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.